Welcome to the Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Energetics' latest podcast. My name's Dr. Peter Holt. I'm the General Manager for Strategy and Policy at Energetics. With me today, I've got my colleague, uh, Dr. Nick Wood, who is our climate risk expert. Hello, Nick. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. So, Nick. Australian businesses now need to become more aware of the physical risks associated with changing climate. They need to be able to access climate science and data to understand the potential risks and impacts. Institutions like the CSIRO develop these insights and certainly we, uh, Energetics, have collaborated with them in the past through some of our assignments, such as what we did with the CBA last year. Specifically, we looked at what are the impacts of climate change on its agribusiness loans portfolio. Nick, can you open by sharing your insights on the importance of climate science and business and how this comes to address future risks? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think it's increasingly apparent that there is a need for a sovereign climate risk capability. Um, We all operate in in a global market. All nations compete against other nations for funding from the global capital markets. And increasingly, we're seeing those big capital players gain the ability to actually work this out for themselves. So there's an announcement that BlackRock, one of the world's biggest investors, had teamed up with Rhodium, a data analytics firm, to do exactly this. So if you don't have the sovereign capability, there'll be people out there who, who, who can form their own views. Does Australia have a sovereign risk? What is this sovereign risk that we're talking about here? Uh, good question. So if we think about the work that people like um, Moody's and Standards & Poor are starting to do, and we know, you know anecdotally through some of the conversations that we have with state treasuries, uh, the concerns of sovereign risk really, if you look at, think about the state of Queensland is a good example. So a state that's dependent on um, you know, coal exports, well, that's a transition risk. Uh, it's dependent upon agricultural exports. That's a, you know, a physical climate impact risk. It's dependent on tourism. It's dependent on a whole range of sort of those sort of macro style economies. And every one of those economic clusters, sub-activities has a risk in it. So when you take Queensland as an aggregate and you think about the Queensland, you know, treasury bonds over 20 to 30 years, which is what the global finance sector does, that's when you see those risks emerging. So it's, it's, it's the, the answer to that is yes, Australia has a sovereign risk, but it is manageable with enough effort, enough enterprise. You know, it, it's de-riskable. So moving on now to physical risk, how developed do you see the physical risks and understanding of physical risks within the Australian economy? It's uh, a very good question. So you can probably you could probably sit down a number of sort of like let's call them sector experts, um, Will Stefan from A and U and others, and Ross Garno, and you get a, you'd get a very good comprehensive view of this. Um, if you went into um, you know, ASX boardrooms, you probably wouldn't. Um, you went into state treasuries, you might get a slightly more sort of hit and miss type type response. So um, not understood enough. And I think a lot of the challenges that we're seeing currently in the engagements with the ASX and that sort of boards as people is really that learning curve. 
Um, you know, it's a very steep learning curve, and in some ways, the the, the observation about the bushfires is why was that a shock? We knew it was coming. We'd been warned by the experts it was happening. So why were we all so shocked? Essentially, we were, we were all shocked because nobody had imagined it, even though the actual, you know, the experts have been saying that. So a lot of the climate change stuff in boards is really in that, in the, is in that kind of psychological space right now. It's the imagination. How, what, what, how bad is this going to get? What's going to happen? What do we do about it? And I think that reflects, we see that in our work is that we get into often into almost educational type conversations quite early on in projects and that you know people want to be brought up to speed and they're nervous and apprehensive about the information that they're receiving in the projects and i think that's all a reflection of the same thing there's a very steep learning curve to go here and people are just starting to wake up to just how hard that is so you've told me a couple of things there nick one is that well the experts predicted that this would be happening but the second part of that well no one was listening or the right people weren't listening. So if we're turning ourselves to the future now, when we look at any future um, predictions, there's also a degree of uncertainty. How do we manage that uncertainty? That's a, that's an absolutely $64,000 question, that one, and it's certainly taxing the, taxing the brains of a lot of the people in the, in the corporates at the moment. Um, you start to look at how the sort of guidance and the central banks are handling this. So when you start to read in detail into the sort of activities undertaken by the Bank of England or certainly in Australia with the uh, Carbon Measurement Standards Initiative, um, the, the project that's undergoing with the science and the insurers and APRA and, and the RVA, it's really about answering that question. It's about going, okay, what, are, what do we know? What do we not know? What are the things we have to sort of scenario model? And it's really about breaking down that nomenclature. So uncertainty is really um, um, needs to be more categorized. So what do we know? Well, we know it's getting hotter. We have high confidence, high, high, high kind of scientific confidence in that fact. So that's quite a low uncertainty, low uncertainty aspect. So start to work through, you know, droughts, bushfires, whatever, based off that. When you get to more, um, more higher levels of like scientific uncertainty for real, like rainfall or temp- like rainfall or, or flooding, then you have to start doing more, what APRA and others would call stress testing or scenario analysis. So you don't know what's going to happen, but you can certainly apply a stress test, the worst outcome for your business, using that type of scientific information. The, the probability is occurring unknown, but you're really trying to work out, okay, well, what's, what is the business, how sensitive is the business to this? So people get put off by uncertainty, but it's really a case of working with what you know and then just, just again, back to that. It's about a capability. Once you, once, you, once you unpack it, develop the capability to work with it. So if we can unpick that just a little bit, what information do we know and what information don't we know? So you said we know that we are going to get a hotter environment, a drier environment. Yeah, yeah. We're certain about those types of indicators. What else do we know and what are the difficult things that make it difficult for businesses to engage with this information? It comes back to three things. It comes back to observational evidence. So Australia is very lucky as the Bureau of Meteorology is a very well-resourced and very capable organisation. So you can start to build up changes in climatology from observational records. And we've used those for a number of clients in the, in the analysis. You already see changes. You already see you know, things that are starting to impact the business. The second um, aspect that comes into it, and this is the multiple lines of evidence approach that the, that the climate scientists talk about, 
The second one is around the sort of the basic physics. So what you're starting to see with rainfall, for example, is much heavier short-duration rain. And that's just what the theory predicts because warmer air, more rain, more water, water vapour, heavier rain. And so you can start to build up these kind of knowns, unknowns, from pretty basic, some pretty basic pieces. If you start to go out into more uncertain territory, the key big question is really the, the changes in rainfall, particularly in the sort of northern Australia. We just don't know the pans of how, how, how El Nino will respond to a to climate change signal. Nobody knows. You get a big spread of, spread of, spread of unknowns. But in some ways, you, if that's unknown and you're already observing increased rainfall volatility, that's the risk. So you don't actually have to know what the outcome is to know that the risk is actually starting to impact you. And it's, it's, that, it's that sort of, again, back to that capability, be able to work with that type of information and sort of draw out the conclusions and risk management from that information, which is an important point here. So why is it so critical now that we translate climate science into business information? Um, I think the criticality is really um, we already are feeling the effects of climate change and uh, there's, a, there's the, and that's been noticed. So it's, it's no longer, oh, this isn't happening, this doesn't exist. There's now a clear perception that this is a problem and businesses are coming under increasing levels of questioning and scrutiny and the questions they're getting are more sensible and more, more insightful and more backed by, by capabilities and investors. So it's a kind of virtuous circle. We're now starting to get a position where you know, we've created that arms race that we always thought was required you know, three or four years ago. We're starting to create that virtuous circle where the demand is driving, driving need, driving demand. So, so I, think we're, I think we're close to, close to that. that. That ecosystem is very important. Getting, getting trust across that ecosystem is important. And what are the type of responses that you've had from your clients when you've had these conversations with them? The tone is really somewhere between concern, genuine concern over what they're starting to see, somewhere along the lines of not really being sure how to handle that which is why we often get kind of legal counsel now being brought into things where previously you didn't see them, but also a kind of particularly the younger cohort of sort of managers that are coming up through the ranks, a genuine, genuine desire to do this. Um, you know, and that's, and it's, and, and those, that's what characterizes the conversations. And also a kind of emerging, I don't really understand this type, type comment where people just kind of went into it thinking it was okay. It wasn't that hard. You know, it's got it, got it kind of understood. Then quite quickly realising they really, really didn't. And this is a, this is a very difficult discipline, and we've got a long way to go before we become fully kind of effective at it. What does that mean for a, a business or a bank in developing capability? Do we need a climate expert in residence? Uh, that's a challenge. That's a definitely today's challenge. Um, just um, my kind of view of it is really sort of slowly and steadily. Um, you know, all the all the drivers are going in the right direction. The access to the science is working. The sort of development of the sort of scientific tools is is getting better. Um, the sort of guidance and standards that the industry, you know, the, the corporates need for their sort of reporting is getting a lot stronger, a lot more kind of embedded down. So that you know, it's it's going the right direction. Capability is really a mix of you know skills, experience, knowledge, training. Um, you know, if you were to look around a corporate now. And ask what the budget for developing a climate risk management capability was. You probably get an answer of zero when you kind of look around at you know a university accounting course. 
do you cover climate risks in the future? No, we don't. So when you start to look for the kind of where's that knowledge and capability going to come from, it's still pretty thin on the ground. But then when you go actually, when you look at the work that Jessica's have done and others, you look at the, 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 the very rapid rise of that knowledge curve, you go, well, actually, we're getting quite, we're getting quite good at this, but only in, in, in pockets. So I think the challenge is really about is how you spread that capability um, now, that's the sort of thing that you know, I get involved with the CSIRO through their various, you know, various kind of public events and other things. But um, it still requires a lot of budget, a lot of decisions, and that's probably a policy vacuum. So you could actually sit down and say, well, if you're going to do a national climate science capability, you're going to need to back that up with you know, some form of educational training, vocational development. It has to be on accounting courses. It has to be on MBAs. For the moment, it's not there. So early days, but, you know. And we've noticed over the last, particularly over the last 18 months, um, Australian boards being targeted by activists as well and particularly asking questions around um, capacity and capability of board members with reference to climate change. Is that an area of immediate focus that you feel that needs to be addressed or do you think the boards actually have a really good grasp of the issue at the moment? That's a tricky question. From their point of view, I, I my experience is that they would say the organisation understands this, but they say that because that's what they're told. But they're told that by people who actually themselves don't really understand it. So it's a kind of it's about it, it, it's about equipping those investors with some very hard questions to go into their assets and ask those, and that's what drives that change. So. Nick, if you're a member of a board, what questions should you be able to answer? Um, I expect there'll be quite a few. I mean, the sort of top three in my mind. The first one is, uh, you know, what are the financial impacts of the business over both the short and um, three to five years and long term? Um, following on from that would be, you know, what's the impact of the valuation of the business? Some quite profound changes down the line with climate change. Um, and other part of that would be, have you stress test your business against that? Um, you know, it's okay sitting there going, it's all going to be fine. But say when you start to do a stress test, some of those weaknesses and potential opportunities start to start to come out of the out of the frame. I think the second um, question you should be ready for is really about the the nature and the sort of due diligence aspect to the, um, the physical risk assessment. Um, CSIRO um, have, have produced some very good um, climate projection data that Australian businesses can use. So it's expected that. Um, you know, assessments are made against that, 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 that data set. And the third one is really around um, the business trajectory under a science-based target. Um, what does it do to the business? So, you know, the emission, the emission trajectory, uh, how does your business function under the assumptions you made about emissions into the future? What questions should executives be able to answer? Um, that's, a, that's a good one. So um, executives really are in the, in the sort of potential line of fire here. Um, because they're the ones supposed to come up with the actual actions on the ground. So the first ones I'd talk about would be, you know, have the actual financial impacts of the climate risks been assessed, considering domestic policies, export markets, the latest climate change, science and projections. Um, that's a quite a comprehensive to ask at the best of times. Second one I'd look at is um, how are these risks managed and mitigated? It's about action rather than just disclosure, and particularly around opportunities. You know, people don't really find the opportunities until they need to. So the, the, the hard yards do reveal the opportunities, and that's important. Those questions are asked around that. 
Another question would be um, the position of the company in the rapidly evolving marketplace, depending on the actual economic sector you're in. So obviously, there are some very fast changing markets, such as telecommunications or renewable energy, um, but also with things like agriculture, self-drive cars, a whole range of things. And, and as, you, as we're witnessing now, change is going to go very quickly. I think the last question is really be one that's often missed, but it's very important. It's really the impact on employees. So, you know, the question would be, if there was a 45-degree day or a week of 45-degree days, what impact would that have on our employees? What would it happen? What would it do to the workforce? That often gets overlooked. And what are the next steps you should take? Well, the obvious answer is to contact energetics, but I would say that, wouldn't I? Um, seriously, it's more about accessing the information and, and the data you need to start to do this type of risk analysis. If you don't, investors will. We're already seeing that. We're already seeing that at the moment. Um Hostile analytics is a phrase that gets kicked around and often misunderstood. What it basically means is that a lot of the information required to do climate risk analytics sits in the, sits in the public domain. When you combine that with the power of modern geospatial tools, satellite imagery, a whole range of open data, you can do some pretty interesting analytics. So you have to be quite careful what you say and how you say it because there are people out there who can contradict you with counterfactual evidence. Thank you very much, Nick, for your insights today and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Peter. Have a nice day. Cheers. Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts.